Last week I did something that I have not done here before, and that is I just decided to stop before my sermon was over because I could tell that I wasn't going to be able to finish. And so I made a decision about three-quarters of the way through the sermon that I was going to do part one and part two, all right? So if you missed last week, at least you can take a running start and catch up with us, okay? Because often when people find out that I'm a pastor, they start acting differently, you know? Whoops, have I said anything profane, you know? And I mean, it's just really funny how the look on people's faces when they realize. So if I'm on a plane or something, I usually wait a long time before I tell them what I actually do. You know, I'm a teacher, you know, whatever. I wait as long as I can. But often I hear people say something like, I'm just not very religious. And I consistently come back and I say, boy, I hope I'm not. I, I don't want to be religious. And they look at you kind of funny, like, really? You know, by definition, I tried to look it up and get a, a working definition, but by definition, religion has something to do with rules and regulations that you do, maybe ceremonies that you follow. But in every case, if they will reveal it, it's about how man can somehow appease God and see if they can do something to make God like them better. But that's not what we see of the relationship that Jesus presents in the Bible. Jesus presents to us that he doesn't need for us to appease God. He came to give his life to satisfy the holiness of God. He comes to have a relationship with us. You just sang it. To hear you say that I'm your friend. That may seem a little casual to you, but it actually is a verse in the Bible where God actually says, I'm your friend. I want you to have a relationship with me. He says we can call him Father. And the Spirit of God comes in our hearts and cries out, Daddy, Abba, God. God wants a relationship with us. Now, in the Bible, especially in the Gospels, it seems that set in opposition to a relationship is the religion of the Pharisees. And perhaps you've even heard people talk about, don't be so pharisaical turned it into a modifier to say you're somehow presenting all these rules and all these regulations rather than talking about a relationship with God. And usually it's like, you think you're better than me. You're being very pharisaical. In the book of Luke, over the last few weeks, we have encountered the Pharisees for the first time. And you're going to see if you keep reading that there's lots of places in the book of Luke where the Pharisees are presented. Last week, we made a list, starting in chapter 5, verse 17. He was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from the village, every village of Galilee, Judea, and even from Jerusalem. The Pharisees were coming. It's verse 21 of chapter 5, the scribes and the Pharisees questioning him. And then in verse 30, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples. Then in verse 33, it says, the disciples of John fast often in prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And then you keep going in chapter 6, some of the Pharisees, verse 2. In verse 7 of chapter 6, it says, the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him. And if you look at the meaning behind that word in the original text, they were spying on him. They were trying to catch him doing something so they could say, you're not keeping the rules and you're not as cool as everybody thinks you are. So last week we asked the question, do I have 
a religion or do I have a relationship with Jesus? Am I trying to religiously go through the activities? And we've seen people that have this great dichotomy. They live like they want to, but if they just go through some religious ritual, it's like that removes all the stuff that they did, and then they just go live like they want to again and then come back and see if they can kind of appease God by going through the rituals. What about you? Can you say with confidence, this is not just a religion I'm going through, but this is a relationship that I have with Jesus. Now, throughout the book of Luke, we've said we're going to keep asking the question, what do I see about God? How do people respond to God? And then what does that make my heart want to do? So again today, we're going to go over these five things that we put in opposition last week of a religion and a relationship. And as we do, we're going to ask God to speak to us in a personal way. I recognize that I'm totally inadequate to lead you. As a human being, I don't know you. I don't know your deepest need. I don't know the things you were just singing about that Jesus alone can satisfy, but I don't know what would bid for your attention and struggle to get your emotions, but I do know that he does satisfy. And I'm convinced that by his spirit, he uses the word of God to speak to us in personal ways. So why don't you join me right now in praying one more time. Can we pray together? Lord, we're opening this book with great reverence, and we know that it is the word of God. So we pray now that you would speak to us in a personal way. So we pray a very simple prayer. Lord God, speak to my heart. Could you pray that prayer out loud with me? Lord God, speak to my heart. And Lord, as you speak, we'll know that it's you. So we listen now for your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in the book of Luke in chapter 5, the Pharisees are coming to Jesus wanting to know why he is not keeping all the rules. So the first thing we wrote down last week was, I can keep all of the rules and still not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So when you think about religion and people think about Baptists and they say, man, it's a bunch of do's and don'ts and we're, we're supposed to be the, the keeper of the law. You know, I mean, we're the ones that make all the rules that nobody can keep. But when you think about what it means for you to worship, do you immediately come up with rules and rituals or do you think about a relationship with God through Jesus? As I looked back over this one element of what the Pharisees do, I was reminded that the Pharisees primarily focus on nitpicking about tithing and money and nitpicking about Sabbaths and the way to keep the Sabbath. And they had an entire book of rules that were trying to explain what it means to keep the Sabbath holy. And in their Mishnah and the list of all the things they added to the Word of God, they made these rules that people couldn't remember and couldn't keep. And so the Pharisees walked around all the time like, we have our act together and poor you, sinner, that you don't know all these rules. You're not as holy and as righteous as we are. So as I thought about how they were chasing down Jesus and what they were doing here, I was reminded of a scene that's found back in the book of Matthew, chapter 15. 
I'm sorry it's not going to be in your little Luke handout there, so you're just going to have to put up with it for a minute or grab your phone or your other Bible. But write down Matthew chapter 15, and let me point out to you how that encounter with the Pharisees went. It says in Matthew 15, verse 1, the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, I want to stop right there because I, I just can't help but tell you a couple of things. One is, have you heard of the modern-day paraphrase called the message? Have you ever heard of that? Sometimes it's just fun to read the message. I, I would encourage you to read this one encounter in the message, and you'll, it will really make it come to life. I thought about actually reading it to you this morning. But notice that they said to him, why aren't they washing their hands? Now, I'm kind of glad that we have things for the children to do uh, now. Some of them were with us earlier and dismissed, and others of them have been back there the whole time because I don't want them using the Bible against their parents because they might memorize this verse where Jesus said they didn't have to wash your hands, all right? So I, I want to I be careful here that I'm not making you think, don't get in your mind that Jesus liked germs, okay? That wasn't the point. He's not talking about physically washing your hands before you eat. He's talking about the ceremonial washing that the Pharisees were showing off doing as they were going through religious ritual, rituals in public trying to brag on how much they loved God. God's given KK and I the chance to travel in a lot of countries working with mission boards and working with missionaries and our daughter and son-in-law lived in the United Arab Emirates I don't know what kind of picture comes to your mind of the UAE but we went to Dubai and it is really a wealthy place there's so much built there with oil money and it is everywhere but as you're walking through this fancy mall and you're seeing all of these things that really go way overboard from what we would have here, it kind of takes you by surprise when you turn to walk toward the restrooms and there are places for the ceremonial washing. And you see those of Muslim background going through ritualistic washings in the bathroom at the mall. And it kind of reminds you of the contrast of all of religion instead of a relationship with God through Jesus. Now, in those countries, it's not necessarily hidden in the malls. There are many countries you go to, and they're the public washing stations, and people are going through great detail. I'm not mocking them. Please, hear my heart. I'm not mocking them in their, what I would consider darkness, not knowing how to have a relationship with God through Jesus, is what the Bible calls it. But in their searching and in their religion, you see them going through those ceremonial washings. And if you love people and you want them to know Christ, it stirs in your heart because you see what's missing. Now, hopefully I've got enough going on in your brain that we can look at this 
encounter with the Pharisees. They came to Jesus and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat. And if you're not careful, you're going to miss how Jesus flips this. He is really good at that. Jesus is really good at asking a question back to answer a question. And he's really good at asking permeating questions. I, I, I'm not that good of counselor, never really been trained to do that, but I've been told that what a counselor needs to do is learn how to ask questions, to get people to talk, and, and watch how they can discover what's going on inside of them. Watch how Jesus asked this question. He answered them, verse 3, why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? You see how he flips it? They said, why don't your disciples keep their traditions? Jesus said, why do you put your traditions over the commandment of God? And then he confronts them. Listen to Jesus' confrontation of the Pharisees. For those of you that don't like conflict, uh, this is, this is going to get you really close. He says to them in verse 4, God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father and mother, what you would have gained from me has been given to God, and he need not honor his father and mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made the word of God vain and void. You hypocrites. I mean, that's kind of in their face, right? Now, if you don't have a clue what he was talking about, let me see if I can explain it to you. There was a tradition that you could go and say, I've dedicated all my life to God, and all my resources belong to God. And therefore, since I've made that commitment, I don't have to help anybody because this is not my money, it's God's money. Sounds really holy, but here's the problem. In the way they had done that, they would say, my father and mother may be in need, but I don't have to care for them. I mean, because I don't have anything technically. Uh, it, it's all God's, right? I've, I've given it all to God. So sorry, mom and dad, I, I can't meet your needs. And Jesus said, listen, guys, you are taking the very commandment of God and you're denying what God asked you to do in the most basic relationship of life, claiming that your tradition supersedes Scripture. This is a very powerful confrontation because Jesus is saying to them, the Word of God is really clear, and your tradition is really crossways to the purposes of God. But then he says in verse 7, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you when he said, This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching doctrines as the commandments of men. Did you catch what he said? Isaiah said, You're going to put the traditions and commandments of men over the very word of God. And he called some of the people and said to them, verse 10, Hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Watch what his disciples do in verse 12. 
they came to him and said, did you know that the Pharisees were offended? <laughs> I think he did know that, okay? I mean, if he knew what was going on in everybody's mind, the other places it says, he knew they were offended. But he answered and said, but look, every plant that my father has not planted will be rooted up and let them alone, for they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But then Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And this is where I like what the message says. The message says, you too? I mean, Peter, you don't understand this? So he goes on and he explains what he just said. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and defiles a person. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witnesses, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Do you get what he said? He's there making like a big deal that you're somehow defiled because you didn't wash just right and you didn't eat just right. But I'm telling you, that's not your problem because what you eat makes its way through your body and it's gone. But what comes out of your mouth shows what's in your heart. And what's in your heart that's coming out of you is going to be a lot more damaging than what you're putting into you the wrong way. Please hear the teaching of Jesus. You can know all the rules. You can keep all the rules and still not have a relationship with Jesus. Number two, for those of you that didn't get it written down last week, all right? Religion makes me want to avoid people who need Jesus. Religion makes me want to avoid the people who need Jesus. It's so interesting that once we start making Christian friends, and I'm glad you have them, and I would never discourage you from having great relationships and fellowship with your Christian friends, but regularly we kind of need to remind each other that we're in this thing so that we can shed light to a darkened world. And we need to have people in our lives that we're cultivating relationships with so that we can help them see what God's done in our life when he brought us to Jesus. So I could ask you all kinds of questions this morning. Is there anyone in your life at work, at play? Is there anyone in your life that you can think of that doesn't know Christ? As you think of them, what do you want to do? Avoid them all you can? Stay away from them? Don't let them contaminate you? Or do you find yourself looking at them, longing for them to know the same Jesus that you know? So religion might make us run away from people who don't know Jesus. That's what happened in Luke chapter 5. The Pharisees said to Jesus, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? I'm in chapter 5, verse 30. It's like, don't you, don't you know that these people are sinners? And I love the way Jesus came back to them and said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you hear the 
two-edged sword that Jesus uses. He tries to say to them, okay, guys, if, if you've got your act totally together, then you ought to understand what it's like to go over here to these people who don't have their act together. And if, if you know everything there is about having a relationship with God, then you don't need a doctor. You don't have a disease. You have no sickness. But these people over here, they need a doctor, and so I've come to help them. But look at that last sentence one more time. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance, verse 32 of chapter 5. The only people that God can really help are those who admit it. The only people that God can truly meet their deepest needs are those who come to him and said, I can't figure it out. I need you to do it. It may sound a little strange, but God delights in our weakness because in our weakness, we know how much we need him. That's why Paul would say, I've counted all those things I once had to just not matter so that I can now declare in my weakness how much I need God. So the third thing I told you last week was my relationship with Jesus helps me see that everyone needs forgiveness. And any time we start looking at people thinking, I'm sure glad I'm not like them. Hang on, we got to encounter with a Pharisee later in Luke to show you about that, all right? I'm sure glad I'm not like those sinners. What you've just admitted is you don't realize how much you're a sinner. And when we find ourselves judging others, rejecting others, realizing that everybody needs to be forgiven, that's the only way that we can watch Jesus turn us toward the world we live in. And it's kind of like a thermometer. I was thinking about it on the way here this morning. I wonder who figured out that we need a thermometer and what a normal temperature is and what, you know, I just, I found myself kind of wondering. I entertain myself like that sometimes. All right, I'm just driving along going, who figured that out? 98.6. Who? I mean, I guess they could tell when people were sick, they got really hot and started sweating, so they called it a fever, and then they figured out how to go back and determine, you know, if there's a regular fever in your body, there's probably something going on that needs to be addressed. And we can try to ignore it and we can try to cover it up, but there's something there that needs medical attention. And God wants us to know that every time we find ourselves looking at others wrongly, it ought to be like looking at a thermometer and seeing that we've got a fever. Let me see if I can make sure you're grabbing my analogy. Next time you're in the store and you see somebody really down and out, you see somebody really poor, you see somebody that, that you're not like them, watch what you think and see what it shows you about your heart. You ought to say, we ought to say, there but by the grace of God, I am. And we ought to say, listen, KK and I are headed to South Asia. 
I almost said the country, but it is being recorded, all right? <laughs> KK and I are headed to South Asia tomorrow. And I promise you, we will be surrounded by people who are very different than us and who have very different means and ways of living than we. And we ought to be saying every step of the way, Lord, I don't know why you saw fit to let me be born in America. I don't know why you let me have all the things I have, but I know this. You didn't give it to me just so I could spend it on myself. You gave it to me so I would recognize the stewardship I have for the work of your kingdom. Are, are you tracking with me? So these guys, in their religion, all they could say is that we are better than them. So Jesus, seeing their response, hearing what they were thinking, and yes, he can do that, hearing what they were thinking, he told them three things that explained how he doesn't fit into man-made systems. If you're taking notes, we're up to number four. My relationship with Jesus doesn't fit into man-made systems of religion. Three things he said. First, they said, why don't you fast? He said, well, why would you fast if the bridegroom is here? If we're having the wedding party, you don't fast. There's going to come a time when I'm gone that you're going to need to fast. But right now, I'm here so you need to celebrate. He made a very clear point that he was the promised bridegroom, the Messiah of the Old Testament. He made a very clear point that he was facing a cross and he was going to be removed. But he said to them, my disciples don't need to fast because I'm here. It's later that they're going to be fasting. Then he gives two more illustrations about man-made systems versus a relationship with God. First, he says you don't take an old garment and take a new piece of cloth and sew it on the old garment and watch what happens because they don't go well together. Over time, it's just going to pull apart and it's going to be worse. And then he says, you've heard this phrase. You might not have known where it comes from, old wine and new wineskins. He says, verse 27, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be destroyed. I know very little about wine. I know nothing about wine skins, but here's what I've read in case you're wondering. They would take the fresh wine skin, pour the fresh wine in it, and they would seal it up and over time, as that wine would ferment, it would expand. But the fact that the wine skin and the wine were doing it together, it worked. But if you tried to take the old wine skin and pour new wine in it, it didn't work. And what's Jesus' point? He says, verse 38, the new wine must be put into fresh wine skins What's the fresh wineskin? The fresh wineskin is that God comes into our darkened, hardened heart, and he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new capacity. And the Spirit of God comes to live in us, giving us a whole new capacity on how to relate to God and how to relate to others. 
So he makes the analogy that we need to be transformed from old into new. And when we come to Christ, all those old religious systems are set aside. And my friend, if you've read your Bible, this conflict is going to continue long after the Gospels. It becomes a great conflict in the book of Acts and even into the letters where they couldn't understand. What do we do with all this religion? Now that you say we have a relationship with God through Jesus. So... That brings us to where I had to stop last week, to a couple more encounter with the Pharisees. I'll go ahead and let you write down number five if it makes you feel better, all right? Are you, are you keeping up? Number five, my relationship with Jesus will always value people over religion. Now, here's the story. Luke 6 verse 1 says it was on a Sabbath day. Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain fields. And the grain was there on the stalk. And they were hungry. Now, you say, did they steal? No, very clear. The law made very clear that people who had no food could go and get food. They just couldn't try to harvest it all and go sell it somewhere. But they could get enough to eat. And there was even ways that the harvest was to leave certain parts of the field so that those who had no ability to get food could go and take advantage. It was a way they cared for the poor. I don't know the case if it was still the corner or if it was the whole grain field. It doesn't say. It just says they were walking through the grain field. And they took some of the grain and they began to make granola. Okay, <laughs> they, they started making cereal, all right? They, they took it, and it said that they plucked it, and they ate some of the heads of grain, rubbing them into their hands. So they were taking it and using the wind, and they were, they were able to separate it by rubbing it in their hands, and they got something to eat. But the disciples watching them said, I mean, the Pharisees watching the disciples said, verse 2, some of the Pharisees said, what are you doing? It is not lawful to do this on the Sabbath. To do what? To harvest grain on the Sabbath. So they took out their rule book. Don't you, don't you like it when you read some of those documents? It's section one, paragraph two, letter A, subletter one. I mean, you know, you, you've seen those kind of documents. The Pharisees took out their rule book and said, you can't harvest you can't do that on a Sabbath. Even if you're hungry, you just broke the rule. Jesus, though, takes the side of his disciples because they were hungry and they needed to eat. And he took an Old Testament story and he played it back to the Pharisees. Now, I'm, I'm making Jesus sound kind of harsh this morning. I, I hope I haven't overdone it in uh, his con confronting them. But even his first words there in verse 3 was a confrontation at their religion. Look at what he said. Have you not read? <laughs> of course they had read it. Uh, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? Now, do you know what David did when he was hungry? David was running from Saul. He and his guys were hungry, and they came up on a priest, and they said, 
hey, we need some food. He said, don't have any food. But tell you what I do have, I have this bread that is used as a part of the sacrifice. And this bread is to be taken and put before the Lord. And when the time comes to replace it with a warm loaf, we're able to take that old loaf of bread and the priests are able to eat it. So the, the priest looked at David and said, look, I, I really don't have any bread but this show bread, but I've got this bread here and it's for the priest. And David said, hey, we're pretty hungry. And he said, well, I, I'm not sure you're supposed to eat it. He said, hey, we're on a mission for the king. And man, I'd just like to pull up a stool right here and, and, uh, and say, do you get the emotion of what Jesus is saying to them? I don't think they did. But after he was gone, we read it now and say, he was on a mission for the king. David had already been inaugurated king, but he had not taken the rightful place of ruling yet. Huh? You get that? He, he had already been told that he was the new king, but he had not stepped into the role yet. Hmm, you got that? Jesus is paralleling himself to David here. What a great picture. We learned about the, how he would sit on David's throne forever and ever as we walk through the story of God in the Old Testament. And here we find Jesus saying, look, did you not read what happened that day when David was hungry and he took that bread now, when I read that, I see a couple of things happen. I see that Jesus was trying to say, my disciples were hungry and it's okay that they ate according to the real law and not your rule book. But look at the last words in red in my Bible here in verse 5. He said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus had been continuously calling himself the Son of Man. The Son of God became the Son of Man that the sons of men might become sons of God. And we as children need to be rescued by the one who came and lived in the flesh so that he might give his life and be sacrificed on a cross and raised from the dead to give us a new life. And he reminds the Pharisees who were keeping the religious rules the Lord of all of this is right here with you. Now, he's so much the Lord of the Sabbath that Christians don't even worship on the Sabbath. We worship on the first day of the week. We don't keep the Sabbath rules. We keep the resurrection rules of the day he was raised from the dead. I could go on, but I won't. I ran out of time last week. Let's see if we can finish it this week, all right? Because there's one more encounter with the Pharisees. It says in verse 6, on another Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. I don't know that they went and brought this guy to church, <laughs> but they made sure that Jesus saw him in the worship service. All it says is that his hand was withered. 
We, we've all seen people probably who have had some type of uh, birth defect or something that went wrong in a disease that made their hand drawn and they couldn't use it. All we can do is imagine what this guy's hand looked like. But it says it was withered. And when Jesus saw him, it doesn't say he was moved with compassion. But we know that's what moved Jesus to see that this guy could be healed. The Pharisees were there to see if they could catch him. If he would break the Sabbath law of practicing medicine. Not allowed to practice medicine on the Sabbath unless somebody's really dying. And you've got to prove they're really dying. Otherwise, you tell them, wait to Monday and then come. Take two aspirins, go to bed, come back Monday, right? That's kind of how it was working. So Jesus, though, saw the guy. And it says in verse 8, he knew their thoughts. We could just let that kind of linger among us for a moment. Sometimes it kind of scares us that he knows our thoughts. But one thing I can tell you, if he knows your thoughts and he loves you anyway, he must really love you, right? He, he knew their thoughts. And he, and he said to them, he said to the guy, come stand here. And he rose and he stood there. And Jesus asked them a question. Another one of those two-edged type questions. I ask you, is it lawful? Pharisees set up. They had their religion down. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Is it lawful to save a life or to destroy it? How in the world are they going to answer that? Don't you love it sometimes when somebody gives you a yes-no kind of question? I mean, you know, you, could, it, could there be a maybe or something in there? Could I wiggle through this? They couldn't wiggle through it. And Jesus said, stretch out your hand. It's really interesting to me. He, he touched the leper. He, he raised up a guy to walk. But, but here he just says, stretch out your hand. And the guy took his withered hand and he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. Now, if you'd been in church that day, you'd have said, wow, who is this guy that can simply speak to someone whose hand is withered and then be physically restored? But that's not what the Pharisees did. It says in verse 11, they were filled with fury. And that word there means uncontrollable anger. They were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is kind of where it all began for the Pharisees who didn't like how Jesus put them to public shame. And I would like to take that last phrase this morning and turn it for you. What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to let him, am I going to let him, I don't mean to make this all 
third person. Okay, are we, all right, let's make it plural first. Are we going to let Jesus deliver us from religious things and bring us to an intimacy of a relationship? Or are we kind of afraid to even talk to him because he might mess up all of our systems that we think we figured out? I'll just drive home this point one more time. My relationship with Jesus will always value people over religious rules and regulations. And one of the ways you can look at the thermometer in your life is what do you do when you see needs and what do you do when you see something different and what do you do when you encounter someone else Does the love of God in you move you to see them rightly? Or do you see yourself wrongly? Oh God, deliver us from religion. I went back and I kind of summarized it this way. Number one, what you wrote down, Jesus kept all the rules that mattered. And he satisfied the righteousness of the law on my behalf. Number two, Jesus didn't avoid me when I needed him. Jesus came to me when I needed him. Number three, Jesus opens my eyes to see other people. Number four, Jesus gave me a new heart and he poured new wine into my life. And number five, Jesus moves me to value people over religion every time. Would you pray with me?